So how would you describe where you are with the pandemic? I mean, what, what words do you use? And the question comes up all the time, and the great stumper, especially if you haven't seen someone since before the pandemic, how are you? I mean, it's a super stumper. I mean, fine, that doesn't really cut it. So what do we say? Uh, okay, well as well as can be considering or surviving. And if I were more honest, I would say, well, bumbling along, muddling through, I'm plugging away, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Putting words to what we've been through and where we are now names the experience and puts form to all these emotions. They've been mixed up and jumbled and are even somewhat unformed. Names I've used for my own experience, isolating, fear-filled, uncertain, anxiety-ridden, unrelenting, and exhausting. Some of those words continue today even though things are changing. And for many of us, a big word is grief, especially those of us who've lost loved ones and family members to COVID. I heard a horrible stat the other day that just in LA, one out of every 380 people have died since the pandemic began. That's wearying. Great description I heard was from somebody I was emailing with this week who described this time as long, wearying, and a distended time. And for me, I definitely, that distendedness, that going onness. Now, back in May of 2020, our Bishop John Taylor invited a trauma expert to talk to all the clergy. I mean, this is when we thought the long-term trauma was what we'd been through since March, and we were on, you know, some notice that it might go on to September. And so there we were learning about long-term trauma and the emotional life cycle of disaster. And she talked about a lot of things that were very helpful, that we get brain fog, that we often are accident-prone, that we're forgetful, and there was a great invitation to have grace for one another and have compassion. But here we are 16 months after the how do you deal with long-term trauma because we've been through long-term trauma talk. We're still stuck in some of this. And I have trouble finding what is the right term for this period that we're in. Is it post-pandemic? Think not. I mean, every other pew here is blocked off. We have a whole bunch of people online. Hallelujah. Hello. Many of us, we have to wear masks when we're inside. So we're definitely not post. We're emerging. I like that word. But I'm also a little nervous. We were emerging that one week at church in June when we were all in here. No masks for the vaccinated. We hugged with abandon. And a week later, well, really... You should have a mask in church. 
And then a week later, oh, well, really, it's now mandatory, masks indoors. So emerging, I hope, but I don't know. And still there is this perpetual chatter of our navigation that, uh, of everyday life. I mean, the businesses, if you've gone back to work with whatever you're doing or in your own homes, there is the perpetual chatter of, do I have my mask? Do they have a mask? I wonder if they're vaccinated. Are they not vaccinated? Should I be standing back further? How many people will be at that event? That's a lot to carry, even when things are better. So with all of this in mind, the reading that jumped out to me this morning was the first reading from Jeremiah. Before you all dive in and try to find that and read that, I promise you I will summarize it and even quote massively from it. The reading is this beautiful picture of returning home after trauma. And it starts with sing aloud with gladness. It's a picture of a nurturing God bringing us back, bringing the people back after intense experiences of war, of disaster, and of survival. Now, if you've read Jeremiah or indeed any of the prophets, you know the texts are not really the most chock full of hope. They're full of descriptions of the horrors of, of war, full of warnings and Jeremiah itself was written in a fiercely troubled time. Israel, Judah were threatened by attacks from Babylonia, from Egypt. Jeremiah lived through at least one deportation, if not two, people going into exile and people being enslaved through the destruction of a temple. Tremendous amount of death and experience of poverty. One scholar called the book of Jeremiah a poignant symphony of both tragedy and hope. And even how the, the, prophet, the book of the prophet Jeremiah is compiled mirrors the chaos and the pain of trauma. I mean, it's not a through line of this happened, this was the reaction, these were the feelings, this is what God said in a very neat historical flow. It dips in and out from historical anchors that scholars know maybe don't, don't really follow one another. And it's a mixture of literary materials, poems by Jeremiah, laments by Jeremiah, stories about him, sermons by him, God's prophecies and the reality of what the people of Israel were experiencing. And it's an intensely emotional book. Jeremiah describes in great, great detail, his own anguish and physical pain, his loneliness, his despair, his doubts. And it contains these poems of confession, these poems where he just pours out everything to God. He complains about attacks by enemies and, and complains about how God's treating him, complaining about the evil around him. How can God let this happen and even complaining, God, I hate what you're making me do. I don't want this mission. And each one of these confessions, raw, honest, open, actually closes with praise, with an acknowledgement 
that God is there. An acknowledgement of the relationship, an acknowledgement that God is in relationship with him and with the people. So today, we get a passage with one of the most beautiful glimmers of hope in that book. It's a glimmer that comes out of a portion that's called the Book of Consolation. And you have to get up to chapter 30 before you get to any of this level of consolation. And this hope is that God will bring the scattered people, the wounded people from all corners of the earth, God will bring them together, will bring them home, whatever their wounds. So my weary heart melted reading this passage today. And even though it's completely not fair to compare directly what we've all been through to the absolute horror of what was going on in Jeremiah's time, the emotional experience is similar. And the promise of God is absolutely the same. So here's how it starts. Again, sing aloud with gladness. God says, see, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind, the lame, those with child, those in labor, together, a great company, they will all return here. With weeping, they will come. And with consolations, I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. With weeping, they shall come. With consolations, I shall lead them back. This is powerful acceptance of a traumatized people exactly where they are weeping those tears are okay come be weeping on the way home how you are physically unable to see biblical words the blind wounded physically biblical word the lame all are welcome just as we are there's no demand that there needs to be a path of restoration that you need to be doing anything to be welcomed home it's just come home i god will bring you home whatever your affliction whatever your wounds weeping they shall come and with consolations i will lead them back i hear in this God embracing tears and God accepting and affirming the trauma wounds. And God is welcoming that grief. God is bringing that grief home. It's not erasing the tears, not making them all go away, but consoling the tears, holding the tears. This is a picture of a very faithful God a nurturing God, God who guides, God who leads, and God who radically accepts that the mark of trauma can persist 
even through divine compassion and guidance. In this passage, God says, I will bring them by brooks of water. And this beautiful sense that instead of like during when the Israelites were in the wilderness and there was lack of water, lack of food, that here on this journey home, there will be abundant water. People will be fed the water of life. And I think of holding those two things together, the tears of the people, our tears, which are water, and the waters along of the brook, alongside which they walk. There's inching towards, not to push it too, too far, towards images of baptism, ultimately, of the water of new life. And the tears, you think about tears. They're water and salt. They can't help but think that God is in every tear and the water of every tear. And the passage in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you are the salt of the earth. That that salt of the earth, the true nature of us, is coming out in our tears in all that we do. And that God is there welcoming that truth. Not erasing the truth, but welcoming the truth. This is a passage where I hear God telling all of us, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, I will bring you home. I can console you. But bring your tears, bring your weeping, bring you with whatever your wounds, be it the pandemic wounds, which I've been talking about, or wounds from other lives, trauma, wounds that many of us bear. God is weeping with us and leading us and quenching our thirst with the waters, with God's love, quenching our thirst with comfort and compassion. So yeah, that is something to sing aloud about with gladness. So let's sit with our tears, accept our tears, and bring the truth of what we've been through in whatever dimension of life before God because God is bringing us home. Amen.